A reading from the book of Moses, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and he given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters for I'm aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now, behold, the cry of the Sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be a, the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. 
A reading from Paul's Epistles to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through verse 21. Therefore, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Now, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. So I kind of want to start by just reminding, uh, doing a quick reminder, um, sort of, of, you know, one of the things I love about doing the scripture readings is, you know, on a three-year cycle, we hit all of the major parts of scripture and all of the major parts of almost every book, or at least, you know, the sections like the Psalms and the prophets and uh, all the gospels, the epistles, and 
uh, and all of the Old Testament, or all of the history books of the Old Testament. So I hope, any, I hope when I'm up here, that's like not anything new. I really do. I'm not trying to like, I hope it's not like the most, like if you're learning new things, then um, that's good. That's obviously not bad. But really what I want to do, and my aim here for most Wednesdays is just to have regular readings and remindings of simple gospel truths and what we're called to be and what we're called to do and um, <coughs> excuse me, and simple tools on how to understand things like the Old Testament that maybe we already have tools for, maybe we've already heard. Um, but uh, I hope none of this like is super new and revelatory. I hope it more so just reminds us as we go through them of, of all of the scriptures, the whole cumulative effort of, you know, of the gospels and the epistles and everything we're reading. Um, today we're going to go from our Matthew reading to Romans and maybe hit, hit Exodus, uh, but we'll mostly stay in Matthew and Romans. And on your outlines, if you don't have one, there's in the back, uh, apparently there's people watching online, I found out this week. Uh, you can email me for an outline. Um, I usually get done with them by 4 p.m. on Wednesdays, so if you email me after 4 p.m., I can email you one. Uh, but I didn't give you very many notes for the other scripture readings, except for Psalm 119. So sometimes if you get an outline, there's other notes on there for you regarding the other ones. But And also, uh, excuse me because I'm still a little sick or a little nasally. So let's go to our Matthew reading, Matthew 16, 21 through 28. So one of the first things, um, don't you like, first of all, Peter is like a great character, a great uh, disciple of Christ. Like, have you ever, anybody, like, if anybody, you know, I like to think of, you know, when we get the glimpse of a lot of the disciples between, you know, John, Peter, uh, mostly John, the Apostle John, uh, and Peter, we get the, the best picture of. And it's kind of like two sides of a coin where I always think like, man, I'm kind of like Peter, a lot of times presumptuously, like rebuking the Lord, right? Like, well, you should have done it this way. If, if I was the Lord, like, you know, uh, you might not want to like say that. And I think even it's Peter or the disciples in one of the gospel accounts um, pulls Jesus aside and says like, did you know that the Pharisees were offended or took offense when you said that? And uh, Jesus is... You know, he uses that as a teaching motion, but like, of course, he knew it was offensive. <laughs> like, that's one of the reasons why he said it is to to get their attention. But, <coughs> um, you know, but one of the reasons why we do the scripture readings in a cyclical pattern in a three-year, not necessarily three, but in a in a holistic format, is is you know, as this reminder, like, I like to think of like all the between in the four gospels and Acts and the history books of the New Testament. Um, like Peter just didn't get a lot of it. He, and it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day raised again. Very plain. He, in all, at least three of the synoptic gospels, Jesus points out that we're heading to Jerusalem. This is what's to come. The Christ must suffer. Right at the end of um, um, Luke, there's a similar account after his resurrection about like what's going to come. And 
You know, it's not even until Acts chapter 10, about eight to 10 years later, that Peter actually understands that, oh, God's grafting in the Gentiles. Like, that's a major theme, right, of like the entire Bible. (coughs) So, you know, I just, um, I want to tie a theme in here real quick and then kind of move on is that, you know, one of the reasons why we do the scripture reading in this format and why it's supremely beneficial to have a scripture reading plan, however you do it, that covers all of scripture and does major sections and reads entire books, you know, at a time or major sections or a lot of chapters is because, you know, nobody, none of the disciples, partially because, you know, at, um, you know, in Matthew 13, Jesus says that he speaks in parables so that some people would not understand. And obviously, uh, we're the problem. God's not the problem. He would have to open up our hearts and our minds to understand. But it seems like he, he loves to do that. But, you know, none of the disciples understood. They were still thinking in that geopolitical, we're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to take him captive. This kingdom, right, that he's, going to, that he's talking about in the uh, verse 28, that there's some standing here will not taste death until the Son of the Man comes in his kingdom. They're still thinking that Christ, Jesus being the Christ, is going to overthrow Caesar, and he's going to set up reign, and this high time of Israel, of national Israel, is going to be set up. And that's why he rebukes them. But notice what Christ says, right? Get behind me, Satan. Isn't that a nice thing to hear from the Lord? Like, here's my idea. Like, maybe we should, like, instead of going through Jerusalem, we should go around this area, and we should take them captive this way. And, like, we got, like, some swords and stuff, and if we get a lot of people going, and, and Jesus would be like, that's satanic. That's crazy. <laughs> like, that's demonic on another level, right? Um, makes me think of, I've got it here <coughs> in a, oh, I didn't even bring my Bible up here. Man, anybody got a pew Bible? Thank you. Um, James 3.15. Right after Hebrews. Um, Talking about those who, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, uh, you know, don't be boastful. And he says these things in James that those things, uh, James 3, were 15, that the, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealous and selfish ambition exists, he goes into it again. Right? Those earthly things that we think of in our natural, yeah, our sin plays a part in it, plays a huge part, right? I have my own natural way of thinking, but Jesus here in James also links the demonic into that, right? And so those are things to be aware of when we're thinking of like our mindsets that are like deeply rooted because <clears throat> it wasn't just Peter. Peter was the one that, that voiced his opinion the most in, in the gospels, but none of the other disciples ever give any, nothing in the gospels shows that the other disciples were like, yeah, that's just Peter. Like that's just Peter doing his thing. Uh, Peter's kind of wild and out there. None of the, Disciples run to Jesus' defense, right? So those, those mindsets of why we read through Scripture is to see, he says, those things that are set on man, right? And a hindrance, he's actually, Jesus is saying, is a hindrance to him, right? 
So, but why does he link those things about his, um, his persecution with the next set of verses in 24 through 28 that we all know um, these are, I remember in Luke chapter 9 says the same thing, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, forever would save his life, or that word life there is also uh, the Greek word suke, which means soul, depends on what translation um, you use, but you'll see why he says that why you could use soul. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life or soul for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Same word. Or what shall a man give uh, in return for his soul? <coughs> right? So why does he link those two? Is he, is he skipping around? Is he teaching about his persecution? He's going to Jerusalem to die, and then he... Talks about another topic. The answer is no, right? The answer is no. He's linking those two. So one of the reasons, you know, I just want to bring that out is, um, you know, one of the mindsets that affects me, affects you, affects everybody, I think, in the entire world, the Christian world, uh, at least um, the Western world, is, is the... Um, the prosperity gospel is the idea that there's no suffering, that it's not going to cost me anything. And I even love to think, I think post-millennialism is, uh, is part of the gospel, is that we have a glorious hope in the future, as Isaiah 2 says, that the nations will come streaming to the, the mountain of the house of the Lord and will beat our spears into plow hooks in this time of peace and restoration uh, will come worldwide. I, I think that's part of the gospel. Um, yet, how does that come about? Where or when does that come about? Or is that, uh, I, don't, I don't see that here now. <laughs> I don't see world peace here yet. Uh, maybe in a couple thousand years or something. But, but I think those mindsets, especially in the West, are super ingrained in us that we start, we easily, I don't know about you guys, but I easily forget that like suffering is a major part of who we are as Christians. And we'll see that, you know, in practicality in Romans. But uh, I joke with this all the time, like, uh, what, like we didn't have the right kind of coffee that I like, which is a little bit lighter. And I always say, like, why are people trying to ruin my life? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be like a, like a joke, but, you know, it's part of, like a hard issue of like, I really want comfort. I want satisfaction. I want the, like the right coffee beans at the right temperature and I want it brewed correctly. And, and if it's a little too dark, that's it for me. It's hard to enjoy uh, because I'm used to, you know, and that's just, that's not even suffering, right? <laughs> so, you know, we have to keep that in mind of as being disciples of Christ that like losing our life or our soul, our entire being, it means everything. It means like every moment of every day, we're putting our flesh on the cross, crucifying it, our desires, our wants, in like real practical ways, right? And that's in order. I like um, the parallel in, in Luke 16, where it says, where Jesus says, I really like this verse, uh, if anyone does not first hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, 
uh, his brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And I like to cut out the section and just paraphrase and say, whoever doesn't first hate his own father and mother cannot be my disciple. But that's not the one I tell the kids. That's <laughs> my kids, that is, uh, as frequently. But, right, it's, it's linked that if anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In order to follow Christ, that's a necessary daily, hourly, minutely taking up your cross to follow Christ. There's, they're inseparable. You can't have one without the other, right? <coughs> so we'll look at that a little bit more in, in one, like we love that. Like I love the big picture, right? But when it comes down to my life, uh, like not being, you know, resentful or, you know, speaking kindly at all times, that's a little bit hard, right? I like thinking in these big picture terms, but when we look at Romans, we're going to see, um, you know, in some practical ways to call. And I just want to bring out Rome, or verse 28 real quick, is where it says, some will not taste death until his kingdom, right, until some of man is coming in his kingdom, right? I just uh, always use this to point out, and we'll just do this real quick, that uh, some here, some standing here, will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, right? We don't hope in a glorious kingdom to come, right? We rest in that Christ's kingdom is here now. And I think that's hugely important for hope, Christian work, and uh, treading out the will of God on the earth. So, uh, let's go back in our readings to Romans 12, 9 through, 12, 9 through 21. And <coughs> uh, again, like I absolutely love Romans. It's my favorite epistle. I would um, read it and reread it and reread it. I've only, I used to have a goal of reading at one point to help me understand the epistles better. I would, you know, I started with Romans um, and it became very hard with Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then at Galatians, it got really easy. It was for five days out of the week, I would read the entire book in one sitting, and I would do that five days in a row. And uh, that's a little bit harder with the big books, but with the smaller epistles, that's something that would like, if you want to understand just one epistle um, or get the major themes, that would be super helpful. At least it was for me. So <clears throat> let's look at Romans 9. So when we're taking up our cross, remember we've come through 12 chapters or 11 chapters of Romans so far, all theology, all about who the character of God is, who we are in our depravity, what that means, Paul's fighting arguments, right, about justification, right, if we're justified by faith and grace, why don't we go on sinning, amen, let's leave it there and go home. Uh, no, by no means, because we now are, are possessed and owe a debt to Christ that we would uh, apprehend his grace, and then live accordingly, right? We don't go on sinning and all these things and the law and the whole height of it in, in chapter 7, I think it's 48, uh, might be 24, uh, of, you know, who will save me from this body of death, right? And then all the way through Romans 8, everything. Okay, so now we get into, after all of this theology, how do we live, Right? Even when we read the Gospels, okay, uh, we, I don't know, I'm guessing everybody else thinks the same way as me in some general sense, 
is, you know, I memorize and I think about and um, we've all heard, take up your cross and follow Christ. What's your, okay. And then we instantly go to, okay, this is my cross to bear and we step away and it's very easy to start thinking unbiblically, right? So that's why we get rooted back in the scriptures. So let's look at some um, simple things, right? Uh, so real quick on that second bullet point, the seriousness and succinctness of these patch- passages give quick, edifying, and challenging commands to live in radical opposition to the way of the world. And don't read them too quickly, right? It's super easy because it's just listing off things, just like the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goes as faith, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you know, something, something, love these things, whatever, right? No, like think on those things. Like there's nine fruits of the spirit, like joy. Do I have joy? Not like joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down, right? Like, or do you really are like you overflowing and bubbling with joy that like people notice it? Like if other people don't notice it, you might not have it that much. Ask somebody. Um, But look at verse nine in Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Stop. (laughs) Let love be genuine. You know, uh, this is the one instance in here besides the other instance that I'll use a Greek word. I don't remember what the Greek word is, but I think in the NASB it even said hypocrisy when we were reading. Let love be done without hypocrisy, right? That's pretty hard. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. I have a lot of standards how I want people to treat me in brotherly love and affection and and kindness or whatever that I don't necessarily reciprocate that well. (laughs) That's really hard to let love be genuine. Okay, let's move on. Abhor what is evil. I I hate evil things. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's a hard one for me. I don't know. I'm just picking out the ones that are hard for me. You guys can read through this and pick out what's hard for you. But do we live as a people, as a church, that are um, constantly like, like, let me outdo John Luke in honor. That's hard to do because I think, I don't want, maybe John Luke struggles with pride. I don't know. He might after this. But it's hard to outdo John Luke in honor. <laughs> And everybody knows it. John Luke does really well with this one. But is that who we are as a, that's not just for John Luke. That's for everybody, right? How do we, are we constantly, you know, when we think in, the reason why I'm talking about in contra, you know, contradistinction to the, to the, how the world operates is, number one, that's how we operate is against our nature. That's who we are. But, you know, when we get to Romans 13, um, about you know submission to authorities and they're here placed on to do what's good and to punish what's evil and uh, you need some kind of standard. It's not a license to do whatever the government tells you, but Romans 12 comes first on we're called to be the people of God before we reach the authorities, before the authorities reach us, right? Hopefully we operate in a community between Romans you know, 12, 1 through 21 that that we wouldn't need to have any other authorities step in because of how we operate, right? Don't be slothful in zeal. <laughs> Wait, if you're zealous, aren't you not slothful anyways? How do you not be slothful in zeal? 
Are you zealous all the time? That's hard. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. <clears throat> Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Man, that's hard. Uh, man, it's... I think, like, I don't know, one of the things that I, you know, was at First Thessalonians, I think it's 4, 13 or 12, that talks about pray without ceasing. And more often in my life, it's I think of, you know, the Lord answers a prayer or does something miraculous or comes through where it wasn't me. And then about like two days later, I'm like, oh yeah, praise the Lord. He totally answered that and he did it for me. And I'm about two days late again, right? This is hard stuff. We have to constantly be reminded of this. Uh, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Um, as, uh, well, I'm not going to assume, but we have a, a teaching called the seven inevitable institutions of every society or the seven inevitable, inevitable governments of every society and where we think a more biblical framework is if you look at this pyramid where the smallest, uh, least impactful is on top, is the civic government. And the bottom is the self, the individual, right? Your own uh, government that you set up and you have self-discipline. And then the second one is family. And the third one is church, right? So good. Those are, we, that's another, I think I said last week, a three-legged stool. Uh, those are, we call that one the three-legged stool also. Um, the self, the family, and then the church of he doesn't instantly say, go out and start ministering to the world, although that certainly <coughs> is what we're called to do as Christians, but contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Part of the reason is uh, that takes some skin in the game, right? Um, you know, we could give... We see, I don't know, we live in East Dayton, so you can see, you could pick any person that's begging, literally begging on the streets at any, um, you know, highway off-ramp or by Kroger or something, and you can give them money or buy them food or something and feel good about it. And I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying that's something you could do and that could warm your heart. But there's more skin in the game when you contribute to the needs of the saints or those in your local body um, that you see how they use it. And you have to do that without grumbling or judging or complaining, <laughs> right? Well, I did this for brother so-and-so, and I helped him out, and then he got back into the same trouble. Or I gave him a loan, and now he's back in the same trouble. Or something, right? Or even if it's physical needs, I came over and cleaned their bathroom, and a week later, their bathroom was dirty again. What's the deal? Right? It's, I think it really is harder to take that seriously and think about, like, how could we contribute to the needs of the saints? And uh, if, you like if you like them parties, hospitality is for you. Uh, <laughs> go for it. I'll come over for dinner most days of the week. Right? But then what's interesting is um, in these verses, 
he doesn't give any like scriptural background all throughout Romans. He's given like scriptural context of the justified, you know, like, you know, like when Abraham was justified by faith, Abraham believed and he was justified. All the scriptural precedent in the Old Testament for all these things doesn't use any here, right? It's kind of um, understood. But what does he start going into when he starts needing to show scriptural justification? Right. We'll start in verse 14, but then we'll skip down. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. <coughs> verse 17. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It is super hard to even fathom how we could live like that apart from like the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, how easy is it and how often do we think of, I don't know how many people follow politics or sports or anything and think of like, oh, I didn't like this team or this player and this happened and like have that little like rejoicing in our heart. Or, you know, I do have, in my life circumstances, it seems to like I always have at least somebody that isn't persecuting me, but at least hates me. Um, it's probably going to be that way for a while. But, you know, when, there, when something goes wrong, and even when the Lord does return vengeance on them, do we rejoice in that? Right? That's hard. Overcome, you know, don't be overcome by evil. Don't let it master you. But we're actually called to be people who master over evil, that we take dominion over that. That's how the church gains influence, right? That's not um, uh, how Peter was thinking of we're going to come in and smash them and kill them and destroy them. What happened to the first century Christians? All the apostles except for John got persecuted, died. John got boiled alive, uh, right? That's what we're, that we're called to. Um, you know, just a little point of <coughs> side point. This is a video out of context that I saw this week of just like current events and just um, ways our culture is is thinking and how we should be prepared for uh, persecution, however small or or minor or mediocre it is compared to the rest of the world. Um, you know, this is out way out in California where all the bad things happen. And uh, there's, you know, violent protests out there and whatever. And so I've seen multiple videos of the same thing, of the same type of thing. Um, but they didn't bring this out in the commentary of the video I was watching. But and it's, and it's taken out of context, so you can find the video, watch it for yourself, find the context. I'm not really sure exactly what went on. But it's a crowd around a woman sitting at an outdoor uh, eating venue, and they're holding up 
their signs or holding up their fists and everyone's kind of commanding and encouraging this woman and, you know, yelling of you better raise your fist, you know, and join our protest or at least raise your fist to, you know, symbolize that you're on our side or something. And she wouldn't do it. Um, but, and again, this isn't in context. I don't know everyone in the crowd. I don't know anybody in the crowd or in the protest or in the, uh, violent protests or whatever, obviously. But one woman keeps yelling, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Because she wants to know. And she's not doing it in a kind way. And I'm, I'm sure she's not saying, are you a Christian? Are you convicted by your beliefs? Uh, she wants to know because her heart is against Christians. And uh, that's way off in another country in California. That's not coming here, Right? Um, not to be like scared, but like we have to be prepared in how we identify with Christ and the Lord, our Lord, is, and how we think of him is how we're going to respond. I love, I think it's First Peter, I don't think it's Second Peter, um, maybe the Second Peter 3, where it says, you know, when he reviled, he offered no, he didn't revile in return, and he didn't even offer a word, he just, like a silent sheep, was led to the slaughter. And, you know, in the first century, the Christians eventually, it took them 300 years to gain essentially possession of the land, but they did. The Christians won, and, and Christ's kingdom is still coming in power. Christ still sits on his throne, um, but I think it's often that we think of how we're going to suffer or what that means in parts, you know, in, in sections of, of, or in thoughts of, like, that are kind of divorced from Scripture, particularly, you know, thinking about the prosperity gospel. But this is how we overcome evil. This is how Christianity advances. In the most persecuted countries is where Christianity has the most influence in the most amount of time, right? And it's when we get comfortable is when uh, the Lord withdraws his presence and we don't honor him and... Um, and, and we're not as thoughtful of advancing his kingdom and honoring God and, and being these people who bless instead of curse, right? So that's what I would, you know, commend you guys to think about, <coughs> you know, this week of just that section in Romans of how do I crucify my life, my soul, and offer up everything to follow Christ? How do I look more like this Romans 9? How do I let love be more genuine? How do I contribute to the needs of the saints? Um, how do I uh, not be slothful in zeal? Right? Um, I skipped over a couple of points, but they kind of got added in there. And just a real quick add before we close, that Second Timothy 3, 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Right, um, I think that's true in every culture everywhere because that's what scripture says. I think we live in a blessed time where our persecution doesn't look very bad in America. Um, and thank God for that because I couldn't handle it. I could barely handle slightly over-roasted coffee as it is. Uh, but, but God's calling us to overcome evil, um, suffer for his namesake, and he ties that in with the coming of his kingdom and submission to him, 
uh, suffering as saints, contributing to the needs of others, uh, and the such. So let's pray and worship our Lord. Father, we pray that we would become (coughs) uh, followers, disciples of you who would give our entire life, would submit in every way, in thought and deed and attitude, um, in every action uh, to you, that you would cause us to be introspect, to think about how we would um, crucify more of our life, more of our flesh, to get more of you. Lord, I pray that we would see you on the other side of the cross and that our worship would be pleasing to you tonight. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.